everybody, and welcome to episode 230 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, joined by Ryan, and uh, Paul may try to pull him a tub here, but it sounds like he's having quite the packing adventure uh, for a trip with the family. Uh, not going as as efficiently as I think he would have hoped, given his previous travels. But Ryan, mm-hmm. it's just you and me right now. So uh, I guess how's it going? You're back home from your own uh, little spring break travels. Yeah, we uh, we got back in. Had to reroute a little bit yesterday coming from uh, what was Florida to New Jersey to Chicago and then a bus from Chicago back to Milwaukee. Not ideal, but also, I mean, we we're I, I was back at my house eating Rocky Rococo's pizza by five o'clock at night. So it's all good. <laughs> it's all right. There we go. Yeah. And, ho- and hopefully the trip went well. I saw you took in some spring training games while you were down there too. I did. I got to see the Tigers play a couple times. I got to see the Yankees play a couple times. Uh, I saw the Phils and the Orioles. Saw some of the top prospects. Got to see uh, Torkelson and Green hit a little bit. Uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So got to got to see some guys. And uh Yeah. Got a little sunburned at the uh, the first game, so I had to be more careful after that. But uh, <laughs> it all it yeah. all worked out okay. Some in person scouting for the minor league extra, I like it. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah. not the Brewers minor league extra, but hey, maybe your scouting will come in handy around the trade deadline. We'll see. Well, no, I did have this weird like super Philly guy uh, who looked like he was like nineteen ish um, get really aggressive with me when we went out sat on the berm at the Phillies park in like the, the eighth or ninth inning of that game. And the guy got like crazy aggressive with me about like, why are you here? Cause I was wearing a brewer shirt. Did you know, why are you here? The brewers are in Arizona, blah, blah, blah. And then like what? trying to find out like, how good are the brewers? Like, like he was like interrogating me about why I was there and what, yeah, what my agenda was is, is very strange and very Philly. Like, Super Phillies Philly. fans, man. That's, yeah, it was like very even at aggressive. spring training. Phillies fans are going to be Phillies fans. That's yeah, you know what? Insane. Well, it's spring training for Phillies fans too. So he had to get ready to be <laughs> just an obnoxious weirdo, apparently, for the regular season. So he's yeah, not yeah. not up to booing Santa levels yet. He, he's just booing Ryan. So no, yeah, that's uh, no. It's kind of like, well, what are you expecting the team to be like this year? And I'm like, well, they won 95 last year and they didn't really lose anybody. So. Expected him to be pretty good. Like, yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Well, uh, we're going to talk some Brewer Spring trading and, and hopefully not get interrogated by anyone from Philly about that. But uh, before we start, a reminder you can get question priority here. Uh, become a patron. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgates. Along with that uh, question priority for this podcast, you also get it for the Packers reporting as eligible podcast uh, that Paul runs as they get closer to the uh, draft here coming up in the next month or so. Uh, if you missed it in the last week, they did their post Devante Adams trade episode there. Uh, wide receiver room looking a little barren right now for the Packers. So we'll have to keep an eye on that as we get closer mm. to the draft. Uh, next level up at patreon.com. Five bucks a month gets you the extra content. You get that minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the offseason as well. All right. So. Turning our attention to the Brewers spring training, we've got like a full week's worth of games now pretty much under our belt. And there's not a whole lot, of course, we can kind of uh, glean from that small sample size. And some guys are are 
just starting to get ramped up or haven't even really made appearances yet. So unless we want to talk about why we shouldn't panic because Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff had one bad start, I think maybe let's start with <laughs> Keston Hero, Ryan, because it, it's one of those things that we were all saying we were going to look at pretty closely this spring, right? I, I, I know we're all kind of skeptical of spring results and, and all that, but the talk about Keston Hero's new hitting mechanics and whether or not that would be enough to kind of fix him, so to speak, or kind of save what was looking like a promising start to a career that was kind of floundering now. So I guess with the usual caveats about small sample sizes and spring training performance not really being indicative of future success, uh, things are going pretty well for him, right? So we've seen some hits, a little bit of power, and he's cut his strikeout rate down. I think it's like 20% through the first handful of games there. So I guess, are you encouraged, Ryan, with what you've seen so far, if you've seen anything from the games? Yeah, no, I actually, I tuned in quite a bit. I would listen to them when I was driving back from Florida spring training games in the afternoon and uh, then flip it on at the end. And actually, he has been hitting a little bit in the late part of games. Two of those home runs came in the uh, eighth inning on. They were, a couple of them have been very late. So that would be the first bit of caution that I would yeah. give is that. <laughs> Not when, major league players, really. <laughs> yeah. The good pitchers, especially early in spring training, are pitching early in the games. You know, they're they're out there. When Josh Hader gets his work in, it's in like the fourth or fifth inning. And then, you know, then it's the minor leaguers for the second half. So I I think I would be somewhat skeptical on that front and uh, just to get some more skepticism out of the way here, uh, he has a very good spring training record in general. Best I can sure. tell, his numbers in big league spring training to date, he has over a thousand OPS in spring training. Mm -hmm. So he tends to do well in this environment, which is understandable because in this, in, you know, in spring training, you tend to see pitchers who are throwing fastballs. It's or they're they're working on something, and you're not really having to to uh, really guess at what's coming. Guy might be yeah. up there just throwing sliders that day, really, or you know, yeah. just kind of working on something. So it isn't the true experience. So putting those out there and saying that yeah, the level of competition hasn't been the greatest, and the fact that he's tended to rake in spring training in general. Okay. Let's set that aside for right now because there are some good indicators here. Uh, the first one being that, and this is like we have to acknowledge here that these are ridiculously small sample sizes. Okay, we're <laughs> yeah, talking about sixteen, six or, yeah, six games or something. We're like talking that. about sixteen plate appearances. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a big sample, but in sixteen plate appearances, he has three strikeouts, and that, given where he's been at, um, that's fine. The, yep. he struck out three times you again can't take a ton away from that but one of the first things that does stabilize and one of the only things that you really can sort of glean from spring training performance in general is strikeout to walk ratios and that's good for both pitchers and hitters uh right. it was actually our first indicator and this is where i really kind of picked up on this and because I heard people talking about it that spring, and so I watched it. Jimmy Nelson in 2017, there was a big lead indicator that his, in spring training, his strikeout-to-walk ratio all of a sudden turned into, you know, an elite number, whereas in the past it had been very mediocre. And he he made that leap, and then 
he even struggled early in the season, giving up more runs than you would maybe expect. But that strikeout to walk ratio stayed firm. And I kept saying, if this keeps up, he is going to have a good season. And then he went on that run through the middle of that season until he got hurt where he was, you know, pretty much an ace. He was he was pitching like a number one starter uh, for a good, you know, three, four, five months there. And so the spring training, it is it is indicative because as much as you're you're still dealing with you know some variations in in the the level of the competition you're seeing, at least that part of things uh, tends to to stabilize quickly. The the strikeout to walk ratio. So he he has one walk. He also has taken um, a couple of HBPs. One of them was really nasty that day. Uh, yeah. Was that on Friday? You're really worried that something you know bad might have happened with that. Like he potentially because he got hit on the hand, but he was back in the lineup the next day and hit a home run the next day. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's all good. Um, so the, the three uh, strikeouts to, you know, one walk ratio, pretty good. I'm not going to complain about that. And just the fact that, you know, we have seen him hit the ball really hard a number of times. The fact yeah. that he is stinging the baseball and he's stinging the baseball to all fields is a, is a positive. So I will take that. Um, I know we have questions coming up here. I don't want to get too deep into some of the other sure. stuff I have to say, but because um, <laughs> I, I want to save it for those questions. But there are at least some statistical indicators here that you can look at and be positive about it. I would just caution people that it is spring training. You're only seeing a, a very small sample, and that sample is against wide variances in competition. So you have to just sort of say, okay, this is about as good as we could have hoped for. I mean, this is definitely better than him <laughs> I mean, yeah. having struck out, you know, eight times and, you know, hitting 100 right now. Like, the, this is better than that. But it, it, we're really going to need to see it in the regular season before we can, before we can say anything definitively. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're coming from a spot from where Kessinen was coming from, you need to kind of celebrate the small victories, too, as they come. So that's why we're so excited about a solid first week of camp, even if pitchers are still just trying to loosen up their arms really now more than anything. But like you mentioned, the fact that he's hitting for power, like all but two of his hits so far for extra bases, mm -hmm. and he's not striking out, so he's not like selling out for that power either, I think is encouraging. Mm -hmm. And you know, the couple of times I've glanced up and seen him hit, I think I've seen his two singles as well. And that's like, hey, there's something. He just kind of dunked it out into center field for a base hit instead of just trying to cut through it. So I think it's encouraging that you're getting that power without him uh, selling out for strikeouts or vice versa. He's he's cut down the strikeouts to this point without really limiting that power because if he's going to be a first base DH, He's going to need that power, right? So mm -hmm. I think all encouraging signs so far. Absolutely. As you mentioned, too, yeah, we, we we got a couple of questions on Keston here. So let's start with our first Patreon question coming from Adam Post. So he's asking, does his swing look noticeably different in spring training? Is his leg kick any shorter? Is he catching up to fastballs in the zone? So that was the talk of the offseason that they kind of limited that leg kick finally and and kind of revamped that to kind of get his timing back have you noticed any of that so far ryan yeah i mean when they did a side-by-side -side on one of the broadcasts 
they showed it. It is noticeable. You can see that the the leg action is very quiet compared to what it was. And so he is there is something demonstrably different here that you can hang your hat on if you want to say that he has really turned a corner. I'm still not sure what we're going to see as far as um the the pitches up in the zone. That was really his kryptonite, right? Like he was really having problem with high spin yep. fastballs up in the zone, both up and then above the zone as well. He was really having problems in that he couldn't hit them, nor could he lay off them. And that was yep. really just causing him all kinds of issues throughout last season. And I don't know that we have a definitive answer on that because I don't know that he's seen enough high quality pitches in that area from guys who really know how to attack him that way to make a difference. So again, from that angle, like there is something mechanically different. You can see it. And I think that it is a very good point. And I think somebody on the, uh, the broadcast, it was probably Lane Grendel brought this up that you definitely want when a guy makes a swing change, one of the really important things is it that they have early success with it yeah, so that they don't say, yeah. Yeah. So that they don't bail out on it, right. That they, they stick with it, that they keep going, that they feel, okay, this is something that I can build on and I can have confidence in and I can keep doing it. And you get that positive feedback and all of that is great. This is exactly what you want. So from that perspective, like we have, we have positive progress. He gets to take those good thoughts with him into the batting cage each day and hopefully that confidence grows and we we see progress on you know when he does start facing that better pitching but i think we still have to wait to to really know for sure i at this point i will say that steve and i were not going to drop him in our dynasty league that we're in with jay google and <laughs> uh but he was one of the guys that we discussed cutting we had we keep twenty five of, of the thirty five guys on the roster, and he was we d- we discussed cutting him, but we did not. And uh, I've definitely not seen anything that would make me want to cut him uh, going forward right now. So it's something. It's something. It it is something, and I think that's kind of to the summary of this Keston Hira segment, right? It's something, and and we were all yearning for something. And we're kind of seeing it. Yeah, I haven't noticed many pitchers kind of pitching him up in the zone so far either. Uh, you know, part of that too, again, first week of spring training, guys are just trying to hit the damn strike zone at this point. <laughs> you know, they're just trying mm-hmm. to get their arms ready. They're not really trying to get guys out, so to speak, all that much, uh, which is also why you shouldn't worry about Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and their rocky starts. They're just getting a feel for things. But um, yeah, let's let's hit that yeah. real quick because yeah, we, yeah. we really do need to just like we have absolutely no idea what they were actually working on at that point, what their goals were, what they were trying to accomplish in that time. Uh, chances are it was to throw a certain mix of pitches and to to feel like everything was it, it, trying to basically like hit their spots and accomplish that work. And not to actually try to sequence batters, not to try to actually fool them in any sort of major way. I don't think that anybody should read anything into any of that, uh, especially <laughs> the, the the people you want to least pay attention to performance-wise are established pitchers in spring yeah. training because established pitchers 
are the ones who are doing the least in terms of trying to compete, trying to uh trying to put together what look like good at-bats and whatever, they're literally just working on stuff. They're trying to keep their arm healthy. They're trying to stay healthy, number one. And number two, they're trying to just tweak their stuff and get it ready to to bring it. And remember, all those years, we would wait for Ben Sheets' curveball to show up in camp. And the day that it would would be the time when everybody's like, oh, okay, Ben Sheets is back. And then he would always start the season. Like, it, inevitably, Ben Sheets' first start was always great. Like, it, it pretty much every time... <laughs> was great. There was never really an issue worrying about that stuff with with established pitchers who know what to do and know how to get ready for spring training is the dumbest thing you can do as a fan watching spring training numbers. It is the thing that matters the least. So do not spend any time worrying about especially especially when you're talking about like what defensively is going on behind them. Eric Lauer uh, took at least a couple of earned runs yesterday and on Saturday's game in a situation where he didn't give up a ball that even like remotely got out of the infield in that inning mm. and didn't give up any hard contact whatsoever and dealt with, you know, a very shaky defense behind him. And I, I think he ended up with at least two or three earned runs out of it. And well, it was at least two, maybe a third. I don't know if they gave an error on one of those things. It didn't look that closely, but it was definitely one of those moments where you go, okay, that had nothing to do with how Eric Lauer was actually pitching. So right. just on any of that stuff, pay no attention to it. The only thing you really care about with pitchers, established pitchers in spring training is that they're healthy. If they're healthy, we're good. Yep, exactly. And the Brewers, especially who's, you know, playoff fate is really hinged on, on those arms. You just want to make sure nobody, you know, hurts a shoulder, hurts an elbow, anything like that in, in spring. So that's the thing to watch for those guys. And also serves as another reminder why we may not want to get too excited about Keston here as batting line, because other pitchers are doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's the summary there. All right. Our next Patreon question comes from Jesse Gennigan. He says, let's get super ahead of ourselves here. If Keston here is good again with a capital G, where do you play him? It would be tempting to put him at DH pretty much every time he plays, but I imagine the Brewers will want more versatility than that. Have we figured out if he's actually a viable defensive first baseman left field, even though they have already have an alt field log jam? Ooh, tongue twister for me. And good Keston hero would be a good problem to have. I'm just not sure what you do with him. So I guess that's an underrated thing, too, on why this spring is so important as well. Like, Keston still needs those reps at first base, right? So I guess where would you see him slotting in if he is a good everyday quality player? Yeah, I think he slots in all over the place. I think primarily you'll see him at first base and DH. That would be the the primary spots. But I could see him getting they, – they did have been playing him out in left field to see if he can do that. I don't see any reason why he can't go do that. It's not particularly difficult. You just need the reps out there. And you're going to have, with Craig Council, as always, you are going to have just a massive rotation of people in and out of the lineup. It's what he does. And if Keston here is hitting, they will find spots for him to play. I Of that, I have little to no doubt. If he is doing it, they will find spots for him to play. Absolutely. And you know with the DH that opens up that possibility, but also kind of eliminates the the pinch hit opportunities he might've gotten to 
you know, just get a couple of reps here or there as well. But that's, you know, not to say that Craig can't pinch it for the DH in the middle of the game or, or what have you. So, well, I think um, we need to talk about that too, because yeah. Craig is going to pinch hit a lot because he has a lot of platoon bats in this lineup and he is going to do that late in games quite a bit. So we're still going to see a lot of, a lot of uh, substitutions from Craig council here that don't worry about that. That is going to happen. That is a hallmark of what they do here. Even in 2020, when they had the uh, when they had the DH, we've seen Craig Council manage through 60 game season with the DH. They're mm-hmm. still making a number of of substitutions uh, around that. They just you know had that extra spot that they could play with. So I don't have any doubts that they are going to that they're going to make a bunch of changes in game. And Keston Hero will get chances if he's hitting. Well, I guess speaking of in-game changes, we can kind of segue into uh, owner talk. You know, Mark Adonazio showed up to camp this week, and we also got some, you know, finally some clarity on some of the rule changes happening, at least for this year. Uh, So, you know, like we had kind of talked about, a slightly expanded roster to start the year. Uh, Aside from the Universal DH, which we already knew about, they then added the Shohei Otani rule, which basically means if Shohei Otani leaves the game as a pitcher, he can stay in as a DH. So that helps the Angels out there. Mm -hmm. Always cool when you have a rule named after yourself. Um, And and so those were kind of the things that came up when, you know, reporters talked to Mark Adonazio when he showed up at the camp. And of course, everybody wanted to get his thoughts on the lockout and payroll and things like that. He didn't get much into the negotiations talk other than saying, you know, he's thankful the lockout's over, yada, yada. Hopes the league can avoid contentious showdowns like this every five years, which, you know, he as an owner has a say in. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's that. Uh, But on the topic of payroll, he did say the team's kind of saving some quote unquote room in its payroll for midseason additions. And he was happy to land Andrew McCutcheon, who was one of three quote unquote big names the Brewers thought they had a chance to land. And of course, he didn't say who the other two big names were. So, Ryan, who do you think they were, assuming they were actual real human beings? Yeah, it's a good question. I I don't know. Anthony Rizzo, maybe that would still stand out to me as a possibility there. I, why do I feel like they're guys who Mark is familiar with because they were in the NL Central? <laughs> right. <laughs> or they were good at one point and, and not so much now like Kutch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, honestly, throughout the history of the guys that we think Mark played a critical role in bringing to the team throughout his tenure as owner, you, yeah. you go back to the Supon signing. He was a Cardinal. Kyle, Kyle Loesch was a Cardinal. Uh, Aramis Ramirez was a Cub. Matt Garza was a Cub. Like, it, there's yeah. kind of this recurring theme here of who who these guys are, and so I I don't know. I that that whole thing has also lessened. <laughs> Obviously, the the four names I just rattled off that was all Doug Melvin era, Mark Antonazio yeah. management, and we haven't seen that sort of thing quite as much I think lately. But yeah, it, it's a good question. I'm. I'm not really sure. I, I feel like they're probably on the older end, guys. They were looking at for one-year contracts. And right. so, yeah, Rizzo kind of makes sense to me that way. They were not in on Chris Bryant at that contract no. that Chris Bryant got. So, yeah, we no. can throw that one out. Yeah. And good Lord, no. I mean, 
come on. That's <laughs> we already did that that whole discourse though. I don't need to go we into did. that again. We did. But good lord, that that whole thing was just a mess. It's just fun to remember every once in a while that like Chris Bryant's on the Rockies because mm-hmm. that'll be like three or four oh yeahs through the month of April for a lot of people. So yeah, I mm-hmm. I don't know who, who else like who else in the division Castellanos maybe. I don't know, but like, where would they slot them in? I, it, it's hard to think of who the other people were, which is why I think they were fake. I think they got Andrew <laughs> McCutcheon and then they said, oh, yeah, we were also in on these other guys. Uh, you, you just wouldn't know them, you know, but, but we were talking and, you know, it was pretty serious. So. Right. They're Canadian girlfriends. Yes, exactly. You, you you wouldn't know her. She goes to a different school, but um, super cool, though. Uh, yeah, it, it's mm. that kind of thing for me. So you know, like Mark's always going to want to make the Brewers sound like uh, an active team. But I, it, it's so hard to say, too, because David Stearns and his office does not leak rumors or anything. So it's not even like we have these rumor breadcrumbs as, you know, quote unquote, proof that they were in or were one of the mystery teams on somebody. So I mm-hmm. don't know, but I'll just be happy with Kutch and move on here. So <laughs> I mm-hmm. guess on the topic of the payroll, too. Um you know, they, they did make that signing and, and settled uh, their RB cases. So we have a better idea of what their payroll is going into opening day now. So I guess with that in mind, Ryan, have they spent enough for your liking heading into the year? Are you fine with them kind of just reserving a portion of the budget for maybe some bigger half year contracts? Well, so looking at the up to date numbers on COTS baseball contracts, uh, some of the arbitration and uh, settlements ended up being higher than people um, necessarily thought they might be. So the Brewers look like they are going to be at an opening day payroll of almost 130 million. It's 129.3 million for an opening day payroll, and that is well uh, above their previous franchise high, which was 122, and that was in mm-hmm. uh, 2019. So. From that perspective, I don't think you can get too upset about this. I don't think there's there's not good accusations to be made here that Mark is being remarkably cheap as far as an MLB owner goes. But that last caveat is important because (laughs) every single owner in MLB. It's pretty subjective. They could all spend more than they are, right? Every single one of them could up their payroll above where it is now and still be handsomely profitable. Nobody's even running close to those numbers based on every bit of information that we have and that we can glean from the situation. Like they are not running a risk of losing money here. So would I prefer that they spend more and maybe add one more big contract to this? Yeah, that would be great. And I think it would be justifiable. And I think that uh, fans definitely should, you know, not feel bad about like hoping for that, but like these accusations every once in a while, you'll run into a weird thread on Twitter where people are like, sell the team Mark, especially this, this kind of discussion, you brings it out in people. And it's like, no, I don't, this is not a sell the team Mark because he's not Bob nutting. We could do a lot worse here. The brewers could do a lot worse given the type of owners that are in MLB. We could do a lot worse. So, we could be doing better. We could be doing worse. This seems pretty reasonable. And yes, they are leaving themselves room at the deadline to be able to add. And they're pretty reliable about doing that. I think they've added at every deadline since 2017, yeah. right? I mean, they've, they've and gone. And multiple they've, pieces, too. Not yeah. Just, you 
1901. Yeah. So it, it it's a thing that we know to expect at this point, right? That the opening mm-hmm. day payroll is not going to be their payroll on August 1st or <laughs> at the end of September or what what have you. And it's also one of those things, too, where like the last free agent class or two haven't really jived with what the brewers have needed. Right. So it's like, who do you even spend money on? You know, there's mm-hmm. nobody really out there that fits a need that you'd really be in play for, you know. And, and if there was somebody that they like, they go out and get them. They got, you know, Colton Wong when nobody was expecting to get him on a multi year deal. Mm-hmm. You go back to the Lorenzo Kane signing. Like, uh, if they find a guy that they really truly like, they will sign him and they will be a player for him. So I, I, I'm not terribly worried about that as well. And, you know, you mentioned this will be the highest opening day payroll in Brewers history. And it might also be, you know, Mark A was talking about this too. It might be the best team the Brewers have had on opening day since he's been the owner, which is something kind of crazy to think about. Well, yeah. I mean, you're looking at a team that's projected for 93.2 wins. And and on Pakoda, like, and that's that is a conservative ish estimate because they tend to, um, they tend towards the the uh, the 81 win mark. You know, that those projection systems are pretty careful about pushing teams sort of towards the middle, absolutely. All right, so I guess in the sense of uh, while we're talking about front office stuff, we've got a couple of questions here from your buddy Jay Google uh, talking kind of about the Mark A press conference and David Stern's comments and, and things to start the year. Um, and so Jay's first question here is basically two different questions, but we'll start with Stern's commented, commented that they haven't had any discussions with ARB players on long-term contracts. Are you surprised by that? Or do you not believe he says Mark when he says that? So you know, I think this comes up with, you know, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, those kind of guys, right, uh, that they haven't had long-term talks with them. Do you buy that at all? I mean, in the sense that they haven't had them this year in this window, yes. I don't see why he would lie about it. I think that's probably true, that they haven't had any discussions right now. I think that those discussions actually tend to take place more after this point. It's after the arbitration, because all these guys now have – they came to arbitration settlements, all those sorts of things. It is in the aftermath of that that you tend to get most of your discussions done. Remember, usually arbitration was done a month ago at this point. So everything kind of it has been pushed back further than what it would normally be. So right. when extensions happen, that tends to be in the second half of camp and the first couple weeks of the season. That's when you see the the vast majority of long-term extensions for players that are under team control. And because of the fact that arbitration got pushed back, I think it's reasonable to think that that timeline should be pushed back too. I don't think we've seen many extensions happening in baseball other than the Rockies who did you, did you see this 70 million at Ryan McMahon? Yeah. Uh-huh. Another third baseman, right? Yeah. yeah. So they have, and yes, Bryant is going to play left field, which is kind of dumb in that outfield, but we're not talking about that. That's another discussion. <laughs> but anyway, there haven't been many extensions yet, and I think that you will see more of that in the coming weeks, especially given now that players and management have you know, 
come to their, they all know what kind of playing field they're looking at for the next five years. So because you've just finished the CBA, everybody kind of knows what their, their outlook looks like for potentially making money. So now they kind of know. Now it's going to be very interesting to see if guys are going out and being extended uh, as much early on as we had been seeing, which was, it was quite common and it was quite frequent guys going and taking money to be bought out of their, you know, their final year RB years, a few early free agent years that was happening all the time. And we'll have to wait and see if that does continue given that some of the major changes to how the, the pay structure is being, how the pay is being handed out affect those players that arb pool, for instance, that that pre arb pool, yep. it, it it is going to have some effect on this. What that effect is, I don't think we know yet. So we're going to have to kind of watch and see. But yeah, I I buy the basic premise here that those discussions haven't been taking place. I also think that a bunch of those discussions are going to be taking place over the coming month. Yeah, I mean it makes sense, right, that those discussions haven't been happening because they literally weren't able to talk to each other for close to 100 days you know so it it kind of makes sense that these first couple of weeks here back at camp it's just more getting reacclimated to everybody and saying hey how are you doing and catching up that way before you kind of dive into the contract talk so yeah i'm mm-hmm. with you i wouldn't be surprised if you know extension season as it were either didn't happen this year or happened much later uh, just because we're kind of still operating on that catch-up mode from losing 99 days in the lockout. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess we'll see. Um, and you mentioned that bonus pool thing. So that's one of the new things that were implemented in the CBA negotiations. But Jay's second question here, are you guys happy about the rules that were implemented for this year? Speaking of the Otani rule, which we mentioned, nine-inning doubleheaders and the ghost runner rule. Oh, Jay, ghost runner boo, name. boo. Yeah, it's I know. He says the runner. ghost number... Ghost Runner name sucks, he says, but he does think that rule makes sense. So, okay, yeah, back up. If you have not heard various baseball podcasts, but especially Effectively Wild, we're calling it the Zombie Runner. I'll just institute that here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, yeah, Ghost Runners have different meanings, and it, it's not a ghost. It's a zombie because they came back from the dead for making an out. I love mm-hmm. Ben Lindbergh's rants every time he goes on them. Um, with that said, yeah, I still don't, I don't hate the rule, but also like, I'm not a fan of it. I think they should start it at first base and not second base. So it's not like a guaranteed run. Um, also, you know, Ryan, I know you're team tie. So mm-hmm. I'm very much team tie. I'm going to do that whole rant right now, actually. Go for it. So it is much better. If we were just to get over the fact that uh, ties are a thing that could happen and be an outcome of a sporting match that we go watch, because people have been dealing with that in soccer forever, and I know that like Americans are supposed to hate ties and all that, but it it's fine. It it wouldn't even change anything it, in terms of like the standings. We're already used to looking at like not just half games in in terms of the wins and losses right now but we're used to seeing half games in terms of uh the the difference in the divisions right in the race you look in your you know your nine and a half back or whatever we're used to seeing that so having half wins in the standings would not be a problem so just 
you know, and it, it basically doesn't change anything. So you end up with 96 and a half wins instead of 96 or 97. Like, who cares? It doesn't change anything. So I it, 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 instead of this putting a runner on base and doing that nonsense, which is really dumb and it screws everything up. And I, I get why managers like it as opposed to not having it. I get Craig Council has talked about this and he got stick from Joe Sheehan about it. And it's like, no, yeah. like the, as far as a manager goes, they are trying to win. Their job is to win every game they possibly can. And so they are using their, their resources in that way. And when in the past it has, it has been common for the Brewers after having a 14, 15 inning game to have to send a bunch of relievers down who didn't necessarily do anything to deserve to be sent to AAA. They just needed fresh arms to be able to, to play the next game and not worry about, you know, having guys be broken. And they, they did extend for this first part of the year. We do have 28 man rosters for the first month, which is absolutely critical. We need that. That is, for the the delayed spring training and the fact that pitchers at the beginning of the year do not expect to see guys go their full amount of innings. Do do not expect to see that through basically, I would say, much of April. I would say by the end of April, you're going to really start to see, because we were already seeing managers be hesitant to take guys much over 80 or 90 pitches early on in seasons as it was, and that was with the full ramp up of spring training. With this abbreviated spring training, don't expect to see it. So just be ready for that. Nine inning double headers, great, whatever. I did I honestly did not mind the seven inning double header thing. Neither that, did I. That's that, fine. that is a long <laughs> history in baseball. That yeah. minor leagues have been that way for my whole life. So like that part of it didn't bother me at all. The Otani rule, great. You know, whatever, it's fine. Let let him stay on the field. <laughs> and play as much as possible because he's awesome and we sh- we should be doing that. Um but yeah, this the ghost runner thing like just ties. Ties are fine. And I do understand what the argument against it is going to be and it's gambling. Right? Like more than anything, that's why MLB this is not going to be some fealty to tradition or or them worrying about pissing off traditionalists because they already did the universal DH. So I think, yeah. you know, that cow is out of the barn. This is more of a situation where their gambling partners are going to tell them that it is much more valuable to you. If we, for betting purposes, if people are betting just straight wins and losses, and that will be the outcome of the game as opposed to yeah. implementing a tie. Now there are betting ways to incorporate ties, but it makes it more complicated. It is more difficult for people to understand. And so I honestly think it makes it more interesting too, but whatever. It Also, there wouldn't be nearly as many ties in baseball as there would be in soccer because the, the higher scoring of baseball is going to yeah. lend itself to fewer occasions where the teams happen to be on the same number. But you would, you'd still have a, a pretty significant number of ties. And my, my whole team tie thing is that you would play – 10 innings and then be done, which is traditionally in spring training how it's been done. Though this year, the Brewers' two ties have both been after nine. They just said, yeah, we're done. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I think you could play one more inning. That's not a problem. And that would further reduce the probability of there being a tie. But you would still end up with a fair number of them. Sure. 
I mean, the NFL is fine with ties after an expanded period, right? So I guess that that could be a thing too. So there, there's that. And, you know, when it comes down to the betting thing, wouldn't, wouldn't the betting companies want something a little bit more complicated so people do something stupid with their money? I don't know. Well, it, it's <laughs> going to be about how much money is being put down, period. Yeah, and that's true. would people be less willing to bet um, a, a team to win a game if that, you know, the tie outcome was also, you know, a possible thing there? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It would definitely change the way odds are done and all that stuff. Like it, it would be a change for things. But people who are familiar with betting soccer know that it's it's easy enough to do. So, and you'd never really. There is actual people bet draws in soccer all the time, uh, and there's good, it, it, especially in certain situations where you look at it and you go, "Yeah, this just seems like there's there's a good chance that you know this being a nil nil or maybe a one one draw." Uh, people will bet that. I don't think anybody would really bet draws in baseball. I think it would be kind of <laughs> weird. Like, who would just think, yeah, I think these teams are going to, they're going to finish about the same today. Like, that's just, it's kind of strange. So, I don't know. I, I think the betting, the gambling part of it is possibly an impediment to it. But, you know, hell, I might even be wrong. Maybe they, they it maybe it would add an extra spice to the whole situation. I don't know. I just doubt we're going to see it. Even though there is history in baseball for it. Baseball games ended in ties all the time up until the, I think the 1920s. Games frequently ended in ties, so eh, people just need to get over it. Rant over. <laughs> Rant over. There hasn't been ties since baseball lights were invented. So there you go. Um, all right, other Patreon questions to get to. Mark Podscarby asking rank how you would feel from most to least confident for this year. The options are Brewers winning the World Series, Bucks repeating as champs, or Packers winning a Super Bowl. I'm I'm bummed Paul's not here for this one, but given the three and given the way things are going, I think I would put my money on the Bucks repeating. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I think the Bucks repeating is a pretty clear number one here. Just don't draw the nets in the first round. That's that's all you got to do. It's because <laughs> right. It's because they're close, right? They're they're yeah. already close to being in uh, the playoffs here, and we know they're a good team. Uh, they're they're going to be one of the top seeds in the East. They're going to be one of the f- betting favorites going in. They have the best player in basketball on their team in a sport where having the best player really does make a monstrous difference. So, yeah, I I would say the. The Bucks would be the best one here. I might put the Brewers too with the Packers, though that's going to depend on what we see, I guess, from the Packers over the coming weeks because they could yeah. improve their team by quite a bit. They're going to need to get better at some positions and whatever. Um, and the Brewers are quite close. The, the reason I hesitate on the Brewers is just the reason I hesitate on baseball in general is even if I thought that the Brewers were the best team in baseball. And right now I would say they're probably more like the fourth or fifth best team in baseball. Okay. I think they're in that they're the close to that top tier, but they're not quite in that. They're not in that, that very first group of teams. I would put them clearly behind, you know, a handful of teams as being clearly better than them, but they're in a group that could definitely win it. But baseball just makes it hard because so many stupid, 
the Atlanta Braves can go and win a World Series. And I was going to say, I keep going back to our playoff preview last year, and all three of us were like, oh, yeah, Brewers are going to knock the Braves out. No problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, super easy. And no, they get swept out. So it's well, just not only that, they that. not only did they, you know, they lose handily to the Braves in that first round, but the Braves then go on and win the World Series because, of course, yeah. of course, of course. Yeah. Knock off the Dodgers. And there you go. Well, yeah, but, why not? <laughs> so yeah, I would say if if I had to order it right now, give me Bucks Brewers Packers. But I think that we're spoiled, and I think we should note for the world here <laughs> that we're spoiled in that any one of these teams can quite realistically win a championship this year. Sure. It is it is well they are well within the top tier of betting odds um within their sports. Yeah, each one of them are going to be, in terms of betting odds right now, they're well within the top quarter. So what more can you really ask for? Except for championships all the time, because that's all that matters. Championships, championships, championships. I want a ring, I want a ring, I want a ring. Like, that's it. Welcome to Boston. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) we can't enjoy a season unless the team wins the championship, James. That is the rule. Oh, yes, yes. It retroactively yeah. makes all of the joy that you had, all the fun that you had following a team disappear mm-hmm. when your team doesn't win the championship. That's just yeah. the way sports why, is now. That's why I hate this year's Badger men's basketball team. They were just uh-huh. terrible all year. Brought me no joy at any point in uh-huh. the last exactly. year. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the bunch of suckiest sucks who ever sucked. Ah, damn wiener kids. All right. Uh, Mark has a second question here. Says, I remember a few years ago when Carlos Gomez had to play second base in a game. If an emergency happened, which outfielder is likely to play in the infield this year? Ooh, I'd have to think. Yeah, I really turned this one over because these guys are all kind of career outfielders. There aren't guys who moved from the infield to the outfield. I would say the most likely one like what Renfro at first, like that sort of thing. Maybe is that cheating though? It I is kind like of cheating, right? The spirit in the rule. I think we're talking up the middle, right? Like, or at least third Ron base short. Yeah. Put Gomez at short was always my thing. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Kane could maybe handle second base and have fun with it. I don't know. But other than that, I don't know if I would trust any of the other guys. Yeah. We just don't have like that type of guys out there right now who you would, would think of that way. Um, yeah. I mean, anybody could go do it. You could go stand there and hold a glove and like, it would be fine for a couple innings. At worst, you have like, you know, a horrific error that is embarrassing and whatever. And everybody goes, well, the guy was an outfielder. So who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Ball always finds you too. So the ball does find go. people. Yeah. Though it I never seemed to like- find Ryan Braun when he was shifted back in, you know, no. when, when they would use him in the five man infield late in a game. You never seem to find Ryan Braun. Mm, he's just lucky like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I feel like this is a lot less likely to happen in the David Stearns era too, right? Like Carlos Gomez is on the team in the Melvin era, but David Stearns has always, you know, always made sure that there's somebody who can kind of play all the mid- middle infield spots on the roster, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if there even is this plan in the books. You know, maybe... Craig Council over a beer kind of just 
bullshits his way into thinking about this sometimes. But like, I don't know, man. Like, there's always going to be a Brousseau type out there who could just slide in, right? Yeah, I think so. I. It is very hard to imagine anyone in their outfield right now playing you know, second, third, or short. I just, I can't envision it in my mind. So maybe not. I yeah, I don't know. Did Tyrone no. Taylor play infield at all when he was in high school? I, I have no, I have idea. no idea. I mean, yeah. a lot of these guys were like their high school shortstop, right? Because they were just the best, period. So well, the thing is, they were either their high school shortstop or their high school center fielder. You know, if yeah. you're fast, they put that kid, the, the, the kid who just, you know, glides around and can chase down anything, that kid goes in center field. So, yeah. yeah. I, I would I, assume I that Tyrone Taylor was a center fielder in high school, but yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. If you put Yelich in the infield, he would break right away and get hurt. Um, <laughs> Red throw, oh, I don't a know enough thought. about. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I, it might be Kane. I don't know. All right. Um, we did have a couple of questions from last week that we kind of missed because we were recording at a weird time and we didn't get them in the rundown. So we want to make sure that these guys get their money's worth as well. They paid to be on as you know paul always says it when danny sends in a question on <laughs> reporting it, it's <laughs> uh they paid so here's here's their question so brian polakowski had one last week and these are kind of evergreen so i think they still kind of fit so brian's question is about rowdy telez saying do you think rowdy finishes the season with the most starts at first base so you know we talked last week or a couple weeks ago about how andrew mccutcheon's positional breakdown might might happen here uh whether he would play more in the field or at dh and i guess we could ask the same question for rowdy right ryan yes or do you think yeah you, you think he's more in the first base role though than the dh role yeah no i think rowdy does finish with the most starts at first base the only hesitation i have and it is purely because of what's happened this week if i was answering this question last week i would have said you know, bet the ranch on it because yeah. Rowdy doesn't have much of a platoon split. So there isn't even that worry that he's going to like if, that if he were to lose a sizable number of plate appearances over, say, the first month or two um, in a platoon situation. That isn't necessarily even a thing you would you would you would worry about here because he doesn't have huge platoon splits. But now, having watched the last week unfold, I think that it is possible that Keston Hira eats into his at-bats. And I think that, and I'm not talking about just against right-handed, or sorry, against left-handed pitchers, you know, the right-handed side of a platoon. I don't think it would be that. I think it's just that they're probably, they're going to need to look. If Keston Hira keeps hitting this way in spring training, they're going to have to take a look at him in the regular season and see if it's real, right? They're they're going to have to give him that chance to sink or swim it would just be foolish not to. So I think that there is more of a chance, but I would still, I would say the odds on person to have the most uh, at bats at first base this year is Rowdy Tellez. I would still take him over anybody else. One, because I think he's a better defender than Hira. So if if you end up with like Hira getting more looks at DH, that also would not shock me. So, this is going to be a very influx sort of situation early on because Keston Hira is making it one, and that's great. And I'm sure Craig Council will tell you that this is a good problem to have. This is the this is these are the problems you want to have. Too many players to choose from 
that have good reasons to get them on the field. You yep. you don't want the other kind of problem where it is you don't have enough guys who you really <laughs> want to give opportunities to. That is not the Brewers' problem, and frankly, that is never the problem, Brewers' problem under David Stearns. Yeah, I mean, Jesse said it at the top of the show with his question. It, it's not a bad situation to be in if that's the situation the Brewers find themselves in. And, you know, I think... In years previous, we might be talking about, okay, let's see how this shakes out in in a couple of weeks, if this is real or not. But again, condensed spring training, a couple of weeks is opening day, guys. So like, there's a pretty good chance that I think you're right, Ryan, that we do see Keston at least give it a chance right out of the gate, just kind of show that the hot streak is real and kind of ride that confidence. Um, you wouldn't be able to blame Craig Council at all for giving that a shot, especially considering, you know, he's a former first round pick, the organizations invested so much in him. They're going to keep giving him as many chances as he needs to kind of prove that he's for real. So, um, but I, I do think it's still rowdy at first base and, and Keston at DH. I think that, you know, the Brewers are still so defensively minded and pitching minded that I think they would opt to have rowdy with the glove over Keston most days, but you know, still maybe rotate, Kira in at first, maybe if you're giving somebody else a, a DH day or if it's a McCutcheon DH day or what have you. But mm-hmm. I think it does kind of shake out to have Rowdy at first uh, most of the year, unless, you know, he craters too and the Brewers acquire a first baseman at some point. So uh, it, it's just so hard to say right now. I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you at this point. Rowdy is the pick. Um, all right. One more Patreon question to make up from last week comes from Samuel Gill. And this is also a rules question. So uh, Sam, Sam's question here. Do you think banning the shift could actually help the Brewers as a whole? Well, yes, it'll help some of our hitters and uh, maybe it'll help other teams hitters more with how good our defenders are. It might help them more. If we place our second baseman somewhere and he has to take a step to his right and feel the ball and throw it to first, it's advantageous to have someone bad in the field but can mash the ball. But if the second baseman has to cover almost the entire right side, having somebody like Wong over there adds a lot of value, right? This would also apply to Adamas and Urias on the left side, too. I'm not sure how much of a benefit it would add, but I guess that's kind of my question for you. How much value do you think it has uh, if the shift was banned? So let's go under the assumption that when we say banning the shift, that it's going to mean two major things in terms of the defensive rules. It's going to mean that you have to have two infielders on each side of second base when the ball is put in play. Because I think these were the rules that were instituted in the minor leagues this year when they banned the shift to see you know what they could do. Um, you know, every level in the minors had a different thing, and mm-hmm. that was one of the, the levels of the minors had banning the shift just to see what the effects would be. Uh, and then the other part of the rule would be that uh, all infielders would at least have to have a foot on the infield dirt. So you couldn't be playing back into the outfield grass. I, th- I think you still would be able to play drawn up infield. I think that would be acceptable. They would allow you to have everybody, you know, on the, like the infield grass. Um, but you couldn't be on the outfield grass, I think. So uh, if that is the assumption that we're operating under, yeah, I could see it sort of reinvigorate 
the defensive value, especially of of a guy at second base. I think it, it has not really diminished that much for the other positions. I think second base is the one where they've really found ways to make second base be less important defensively. And as such, that meant that uh that like you could play guys out of position there. And we've seen it with the Brewers, did it with Mustakis and Travis Shaw. Mustakis can play second base. Hell, anybody can. Right. Well, Travis Shaw too. Like they they did that. And this is happening kind of all over baseball where teams are playing guys at second base that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to. And so this could potentially reinvigorate that. Yes, I could see the argument, Sam, that like that that is true. Uh Honestly, though, I I think that the effect that it has is pretty minimal because I think that even as it is, they were still having having good defenders on the infield was still a valuable thing. And the Brewers are one of the most shifty teams in baseball. And even as such, even willing to do that and move and play your defenders all over the place. They still went out and got Colton Wong, who's, you know, one of his main value points is that he's a great defender at second base. So I think that the fact that they were willing to do that shows you that they st- even though they they were willing to do these other things with second base as well, they also still valued premium defense there. So it's probably not a major shift, but I could see it it maybe uh, pushing the needle a little bit back towards defense at second base positionally. I could I could see that argument. We do have one Twitter question to get to before we wrap up for this week. It comes from Josh Semro. He's asking, in light of the McCutcheon signing, which free agent signing from a rival bothered you the most? I actually kind of talked about this or touched on it. I don't know that anyone ever really disliked McCutcheon, but there was uh, was there one that was hard for you to get behind? It took me a while to get used to cheering for Aramis Ramirez. I think that's a good poll. I think I said when we were talking about the McCutcheon signing too, like I I like it because I, I've always liked Andrew McCutcheon. He just seems like a cool, genuine person. Even when he was mashing against the Brewers, it was hard to hate him. Uh, but for me, I think it was the Kyle Loesch signing uh, just because it, it felt like at the time, like it was going to be Supon part two. I hated watching him pitch when he was at the Cardinals and that entire situation. It was like watching a car crash in, in, slow motion leading up to that right like everybody knew it was gonna happen we were still hoping it didn't and there you go and i will say that ended up being a lot better than i had expected but i still took a long time to get over my <laughs> poor feelings for kyle loesch right james you stole everything i was gonna say literally everything uh, right down to the, the thing at the end about the fact that uh <laughs> yo he was a lot better than i was expecting and that like all that worked out in the end pretty well and i can't really get mad about any of that yeah it's kyle loesch for me uh the ramirez thing it it, it's those two guys those are the two that stand out to me in my memory so much too yeah that was just because he like crushed the brewers hopes and dreams like in that early part of the contention era right it was wasn't it a Ramirez home run mm-hmm. that kind of signaled the the beginning of the end for a collapse there, like in June or July or something in like June that? June of was... 2007, his home run. Yeah. The Brewers were 5 nothing on Friday at Wrigley. And yeah. <laughs> oh, my I... God. Yes, we still James, it was. Yeah, that home run. Yeah. And then the yeah, ball so. ended up in the fucking basket. And yeah. So mm. 
anyway, or actually, no, that one did not end up in the basket. He he <laughs> no, hit that he, one he clear into the bleachers. That. Yeah, no, that was he demolished it. It was bad. Yeah, um, no, those are really the ones that stand out in my mind uh, more than anything. I I can't really say yeah. because if you if you were to look, you know, we're signing guys from the Cardinals all the time, the Braden Loopers of the world, but nobody had oh, any big God, expectations yeah. of them. Yeah, so they were like, scrap heap. Yeah, yeah. It, Ramirez was a guy, though. One thing that softened that blow for the Brewers fans was that by the end, Cubs fans hated Aramis Ramirez. They wanted <laughs> him out of true. town because they thought he was like a bad guy and like Lazy bad for the team. Oh, stuff. there was yeah. some serious, yeah, some serious. It, it was bullshit it, going on there too. Yeah, yeah. And so when he came to the Brewers and was really good for two years and then kind of broke down in that third year. But actually, if you look back at it, even in that third year, he was still pretty decent. He just was kind of done at that point physically, I think. And he retired quickly after that. So I honestly, yeah, it's, it's Ramirez and Loesch. I was trying to think back to the nineties and Mm. they just didn't sign any free agents. No, they did it. That's why this is hard. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're, when you're really dealing with only the last 15 years of the team's history, for something like this, it yeah, it it's kind of limiting. I'm sure there's some like random relievers too that popped up that I can't think of right now. But again, those are sort of like the the Braden Loopers, right? Where it didn't matter. We knew they sucked when they signed them. It's not like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But it, it's just still Kyle Loesch for me, and and then Jeff Subban too, just because that too felt like it was a bad idea at the time and. Well, let's let's build on Jesse's question here, though. Who would it be now? Try to think of a player uh, currently on a roster in the NL Central who would you'd be a former rival that you would hate having to uh, come on the team. And let's take Goldschmidt. The- Goldschmidt. Period. That's it. I don't. Yeah, I would hate that. Really? Yeah, I've I've hated that guy since freaking 2011 playoffs like yeah, yeah i mean he has tortured it, I, I it's mean, a decade of torture for any time the dude so, plays yeah. the brewers especially at miller park he absolutely yeah. destroys them and so that'd be an easy one but for me, but, but do you hate him per- like would you hate having him on your team i would love to have him hitting in that park because he seems to love I mean, hitting yeah there. he's he's not yachty but i would still like it's the ramirez factor Right, um, it's it's yeah. Yachty would be a guy that you just couldn't stand, <laughs> and that's yeah. Like I I get that. I'm trying to think if there's anybody who's like on the Reds or whatever. Oh, I mean Trevor Bauer, but that that's totally a different category and it's a completely different thing. So. No, and the Reds got rid of everybody, so it, it's there's nobody there. Like yeah, Suarez, guys who are currently yeah, on the team, yeah, yeah, who who tortured them. Like back in the day, having like bringing in Brandon Phillips or something like that right. would have been annoying, but. Yeah, I guess now maybe Wilson Contreras. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Yeah. Wilson Contreras would be would be one because at least he, in the last year he's just been a giant dick. So yeah, right. Because yeah, his act is just so tiresome. <laughs> so yeah, you put me on that. I. It's hard to come up with other guys really, and maybe we're missing somebody obvious here on the Cardinals. Might be missing mm. somebody obvious on the Cardinals. I mean, non Yachty division, but. Yeah, Wainwright. Yeah. Eh. Uh, but yeah. he's not even an ass like Chris Carpenter was. So I I don't know. Arenado seems fine. The right. young, whatever. Like, yeah, they're just annoying more than 
Right. Hated, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right. That was a great question, Josh. Thank you for that one. Uh, a reminder, though, too, you you can ask questions to us on Twitter, even if you're not a patron. That's the at MKE tailgate account there. You can also follow me and Ryan. I'm at James L. James with a Y. Ryan is at RD top. And if you are a patron, if you go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and sign up, you also get a shout out here uh, when you do sign up. And it looks like we got a couple names to add to the list this week, Ryan. Yes, uh, welcome to MC Cham and Ryan Johansson. There we go. Uh, so thanks for signing up, guys. And again, two bucks a month gets you question priority if you are not a patron yet. Make sure that you get your question answered here. Um, and five bucks a month, you get that extra podcast content as well to listen to. Uh, even if you're not a patron, we'd appreciate your support in another way. You could always leave us a review and a rating for this podcast. A reminder, when Paul is here, he will read literally anything you write in a five-star review of ours on Apple Podcasts. So that's your incentive to go there now and, and do that if you haven't already. And while you're there, please do hit the subscribe button and you will get that push alert on your phone whenever we post a new episode every week. So uh, we're getting down there, guys. Like I said, the spring training condensed kind of snuck up on me, but opening days at the... <laughs> like at the end of uh the week after this one so uh we're gonna have to do some preview stuff next time ryan i think and we will and, yeah so be sure to listen to that and i'm sure that'll be a doozy it always is but we will be back here next time on milwaukee's tailgate thanks for listening everyone